It's time for building the game, the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Hello and welcome to Building the Game, a documentary podcast. Today is Monday, February 20th, and you're listening to episode 560. As always, I am your host, Jason, here today joined by regular co-host, Nicole Amato, and also a special guest. Uh, sorry, I cut you off your normal cheering there, Nicole, but uh, okay. we have a special guest um, that um, we have been referring to uh, as Zine Dude um, for no real reason other than the fact <laughs> that we're going to talk about zines today, spoiler alert, and that is game designer James Pianca. Hey, James, how you doing? Hey, what's up, Jason? Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you here. We've never met before. I like meeting new people. It's always I'm always unsure when Nicole brings someone new. Um, you just never know what's going to happen know. with that. Um, never know. Could be a raccoon in a dumpster. <laughs> never know. Who says I'm not? <laughs> <laughs> Three raccoons in a trench coat. I uh, I don't know. There was one person we had on one one time before I was going to have on, and I was like, Nicole's like, I love this person. They're they're so amazing. Oh, they're great. Like, we got to get them on. I'm like, awesome. Like, I can get them on. And then I'm like, so how, you know, I asked a question, like, right before we're going to record, like, how well do you know them? Like, oh, I met him once. And I was like, what? Oh my God, who was that? Tell me who that was. It was Carol Mertz back in the Carol day. Carol Mertz. I love Carol. Who you, of course, know better now, but back then you were like, I met her once. I was like, I mean, what? I met her once. It was great. To be fair, Nicole and I have only met once, and it was a long time ago, but we stayed in touch on Facebook. That yeah. cursed right. place. Yes. We were on a panel together, and uh, it was yeah. a panel of writers, and I was sitting right next to James. And I mean, you've seen me at conventions. I'm, mm, yeah. I look like a goblin. And at one point, I was just like, I had just met these people and I was just like, James, I can't sit next to you. And he was like, why? And I was like, you're absolutely too attractive. You're making me look worse. I have to go. <laughs> I have to like no, sit I... in the chair next to the end of the stage and just push me off. Please just, just let me die. <laughs> you're, you're way too kind. Uh, that was a really fun, fun panel. I thought everybody looked fantastic, especially the crowd. So that was a, I thought um, you were especially me. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was really. Me. I was crushing like especially it. Especially this guy. <laughs> no, I still have the selfie that we all took. I think of that crowd. Um, I had never spoken to that many people at one time before, and so you're like, oh my god, my god, my god, and you, and you, uh, you, know, you, you click the button. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's um, yeah. People are cool. Speaking in front of people is is fun. Uh, yeah. And they were all so excited. It was yeah, such I was a. So excited! A, I was like, uh, uh-uh. uh. Yeah, they all cheered when we said the stuff we had done. They're like, I did this, and they were like, oh yeah. And you're like, wow, my mom doesn't even care that much. Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh yeah. My mom always tweets about. I'm not tweets. My mom's on a Twitter. My mom always posts Facebook about my new games when they're coming out, and she just shared one uh, this week. And I went and looked and I liked it because there were zero likes <laughs> because like, because obviously like her like demographic of friends, you know, people yeah. in their seventies are not the ones who are going to play a uh, banana chan and I's party game. No context. Right. Aww. Like, you know, like, so, but it's, but she shares it because she cares. That's, she's a That's mom. That's so kind. Yeah, yeah. It's very kind of her. No, no complaints about her sharing. And I think it's very sweet and kind. Yeah. Thanks, when my mom. grandma yeah. finally started using Facebook, she would like come into my comments and she would be like, so, so glad to hear this. Love grandma. You know, like every time. And my friends were just like, what is this? And they were like, we love your grandma. She became like, like, 
slightly like like and anytime anybody would curse she would be like Mm-mm, i don't like that love grandma <laughs> and we would be like oh no i'd be like everybody this is not safe for grandmas don't don't post this stuff on my wall well, I know that people would say naughty stuff, and you and like your friends would pop and be like, "Oh no, what about grandma?" <laughs> they have their own kind of call out. It's a, it's a different, more wholesome call out. But also, like, I think there's this there's this expectation that our family is going to embarrass us. Like, oh, grandma, don't show that you love me in public. And just like, <laughs> why would anyone be upset by that? It's like, it's like I I was at a I was at a. Um, an event recently and I got makeup from an old Greek woman on the on the like the shoulder of my of a really nice jacket. It was like one of the last things my grandfather ever bought me before he died. Oh, I yeah. was really grateful. It was like a really stylish jacket. And I lived in California at the time so I knew I wouldn't get to wear it for years, but now I'm on the East Coast again. So I get to wear this jacket. And I looked down at it and it had like just a pancake streak of, of somebody's you know, face gloop. Um, and I, I started to get annoyed. And then I was like, oh, no, no, no. This is physical evidence that somebody loves me. Um, uh, I'm not even going to try that hard to get it out. I mean, I did. I got it out because it was insightful. <laughs> but like, you know what I mean? Like, it's, there's it usually not a lot of reason to get upset about those public demonstrations of affection. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, speaking of grandmothers, I'm just going to get right into it and let you guys know that one of my... One of my favorite zines out right now for Zine Month is it's on uh, Crowdfunder and it's called Grandmothership. It's a sci-fi mm, tabletop RPG about senior ladies in space. And I was yeah. like, yes, please. This sounds like Golden Girls on a spaceship. <laughs> that sounds fantastic. I would play. But that. it's Mothership though, right? So is it horror? I is there like a horror element? Or just use the horror. system? I, I don't know. Did they get the... Did they get approval? Uh... Takes the stats and simplicity from Honey Heist, senior ladies gathering place to solve a problem from Brindlewood Bay, and it's classes and loadout format as well as vibes from Mothership. Boom. Vibes. It. it doesn't have the Mothership logo on it. That's why I was like, well, I don't know. It looks great, though. So, um, so let's talk about, let's, uh, well, Nicole, you tell everybody uh, what we're going to talk about today. Uh, still, tell us about Zine Quest. Yeah, we're gonna talk about zines. Zine Quest is a Zine Quest is a prompt on Kickstarter for people to for creators to like put zines up on the platform. Uh, as long as they run in the month of February, you're good to go. Um, and there's also something called Zine Month. So I feel like, um, like I, I don't know what came first, Zine Quest or Zine Month. I'm assuming that Zine Month was built around Zine Quest, but now there's tons of zines available and. Uh, I don't know if you know them, but uh, Linda Carrega has been doing an awesome roundup on Gizmodo. Oh, yeah. I know and, that name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah I follow them got, on Twitter. They've got lots of, like, crowdfunder itch and Kickstarter campaigns. Uh, right now, they've done two roundups, and I actually, like, kind of lost my mind and was like, is it okay if I email them and just tell them all my favorite zines that I know of right now? So, um and they they replied they were like sure send them over and i was like yes and i wrote i wrote an email that i can only classify as unhinged because it's just (laughs) full of links and like and like me saying things like wait one of the lines was like um this one is about a goblin gig economy and then i put five question marks after it uh that one's (laughs) That one's on Kickstarter. It's called Odd Gobs, and I am like completely in love with it. So fantastic! Yeah. 
And then I ended the email with like, and just for fun, here are pins of crows committing crimes and just sent them a link to an enamel pin. (laughs) I was like, I am a child. Sorry about this. I think that's like the default state for crows. I agree. Yes. It's like the idle animation for a crow is just them with like their little wings in their pockets looking shifty. Absolutely. You would love this crows committing crimes Kickstarter, honestly. I, I mean, I'm... I'm such a sucker for enamel pins and like working at Kickstarter has just shown so many more of them to me. And I'm just like, please stop. Yeah. Now. You've been there for what? Two years now? No. No, six, not, not even. Six two months. months. Oh, two oh, damn. months. So, uh, time broke. It just broke. I don't know. <laughs> did break. Yeah. I don't know what century this is week August. by week. So uh, I just thought, I assumed you'd been there for longer. No, um, almost six months. Almost. Six do you months. like it? Do you love it? I love it. I do love it. It's a lot of fun. Cool. Um, yeah, Nicole, and- let's ask you publicly how you feel about your uh, job. <laughs> I I'm love sure it. your answer That's will be. <laughs> I, just I can tell you that in, in private, she still says that she loves it. So good. Right. Well, that's also her. an expected cover for a deeper <laughs> truth that may exist and which we'll never, we'll never hear on this, on this show. Is this one crow in this picture committing tax fraud? I think so. Let me see. Let me like, click on it's it. just on. for anyone who's interested. It's called Crows Committing Crimes. It is still live yeah. as of this. Yep. And there's one crow that is committing tax fraud. Uh, the other ones are like burning things or stabbing people. But the one, one is definitely knife. committing tax fraud. Oh, two um, have knives. 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 Yeah. Tax evasion. Yeah. Yep. Tax evasion. One um, is just sad. Yeah. That's, that's not a crime. That's, that's not a crime. crime if that was sad. a crime, we'd all be in jail. Yeah. Um, so anyways, uh, that's okay. So, but so, so zine quest is a thing put on by Kickstarter. Um, and, uh, yeah. And there's also zine month. So the idea is that much like what they make 100 thing, right? It, um, it gets a lot of smaller creators, uh, to put stuff up on Kickstarter. Um, which what I think is super cool about that personally is that like, obviously I, I can say this with, with not knowing for sure. And you probably can't correct me because you're probably not allowed to say Nicole. So, um, but, uh, <laughs> The Kickstarter is bread and butter that like pays the bills are these bigger Kickstarters that make gops of money. Like, you know, the right. Marvel United campaign I backed that made nearly $5 million um, just recently. And, um, and then there's these little ones. And the fact that like Kickstarter is pushing for these little ones to happen, I think is really cool because obviously if a, if a Kickstarter makes $5,000, you, you, that's, that's not even buying people lunch at Kickstarter. <laughs> Like it's not like, you know, you get a small percentage of the money from that. Let me tell you what my favorite thing was in 2015 when I ran my Kickstarter and we made $23,000 and multiple people were like, are you going to leave town? And I was like, do you know how much money that is? That's not enough money to leave town. Like <laughs> you're like, what for like the weekend? Yeah, <laughs> like, like for like maybe a few months, like, you know, what? we have to make the thing now, right? Like yeah. it goes into the expenses. Right, right. Like, that is, uh, yeah, that's always the thing. It's like this Kickstarter made five million dollars, but also twenty seven thousand people backed it. So, yeah. like, yeah. you know, they do have to make some stuff, yeah. and they'll make a healthy profit on said thing. But stuff. yeah, so but so, anyways, I mean, I I think it's cool because it it drives people to make Kickstarters and to put stuff out there, right? But I mean, also, I would say for Kickstarter. Like from, as I'm saying it, I'm seeing, my guess is that their perspective, per, pers, perspective, not prospective, perspective is 
um, that it drives a lot of people there for different projects who may then help back more projects, which is really what Kickstarter wants. So it's all devious, right? This is very underhanded. I'm just kidding. No. Uh, for, um, for, I mean, from my perspective, like, so I, there's a, there's a couple of prompts. There's like project long story short, there's zine month, there's make 100, there's witch starter. And like, to me, these are like similar to like doing a game jam where it's like, you know, sometimes you just need a creative prompt to like either break up the monotony of something that you're working on or to like, you know, spark a new project, you know? And I yeah. think that that's yeah. what a lot, I think that's For what sure. a lot of people, how a lot of people view these. And uh, I love it. I, I, I had never like been this deep into zine quest and now I'm like, Oh no, I can't, I can't like, I'm, I'm so into it, especially the, I can't stop stuff. backing campaigns. I can't stop backing campaigns. RIP to anyone know who Nicole follows one. me on Kickstarter. <laughs> Yeah, the Mothership ones have been my favorite. Um, one that is not a zine that is incredibly cool um, is a Mothership one, and it's called uh, Cloud Sister. Empress. Oh, that one was incredible. I'm so I stoked for that. that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this one's called Sister. It's S-I-S slash T-R. Um, Sister, a rare geometry for Mothership RPG. And it looks hmm. just so freaking cool. What's the and pitch? It's got uh it's got these like dice turrets in it okay it's like a it's a it's it's an interactive mini boss with six-sided deployable turrets so it's like it's it's got this crazy looking like turret die that you like turn this and is then not I, a zine correct it's well the, well it's also got a book and i'm, I'm really i think confused. the book has i know i know i know the book also has some, uh, it's called a Rare Geometry Adventure Module. So that's got like a, a mod in it. Oh so God. it's like an origami tactical mini with encounter rules? Because <laughs> yes. that's fantastic. That's a great product. It belongs on all our shelves. That's so perfect. What a perfect description. And like the cover of the book just looks so cool. It's like, it, it's like got like metallic like ink. Like, like ugh, it's just, I'm just, ugh, I just need it. Um, yeah, anyway. And then there's a bunch of mothership zines, like the one that you said, the the Cloud Uppers one, and Decagon is one, and there's one that's just called a Haas, which I like. Um, and there's one that's called Biodrones and Cryoclones, and I've seen it written so many times, and saying it out loud is very fun. Yeah, that sounded fun. I'm going to try <laughs> to work it in later. So, um, so, James, what is it like... So just talking about zines in general, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep us somewhat on track. I'm gonna try. Nicole Those were all zines. Those but, were all zines. Those were all beautiful zines, except for yeah, the that was that was Jermaine. I'm just giving you a hard time. Um. Anyways. Uh. Uh. So anyways. Uh. James, I'm curious. Like, what kind of got you? Because you said you know you do game development for your your day job, and um, I'm just kind of curious what got you into doing the zines like what drew you to those in general you know sure sure um i mean there's a couple things going on the first and foremost is that i'm a writer um i got into games as a writer and i may have shifted to a more technical emphasis um for a number of reasons i don't know how relevant or interesting they are but the, I, i'm i care a great deal about the written word and uh especially as it is you know as as time passes and as we all kind of like 
you know, drown in the internet. I'm, (laughs) I'm increasingly returning to analog media as an antidote for what feels like a grand societal mistake even as i con- even as even as i like just reference i'll just like open a tab and and conjure the information that i need um i'm also a dopamine junkie and i mm, think something's I, bro- I, really, I think really something's broken it. yeah like i don't i don't know if i'm a al- if i'll ever be happy anymore and i'm not sure if it's the internet's fault or not and i just i want to hold something in my hand like a little art object that isn't just going to delete um or get patched you know, and I want to, I want to just hold it and, and, and read it. And there's zines have a, I'm really old to this observation. I'm like really late to this. This is an eighties observation, but I, I find myself enchanted by their physicality and just sort of like the tactile uh, use of material and the, I don't know, the, the printing techniques are all really interesting. And, you know, I, I, I guess to continue the answer is I, I'm a, you know, I'm a forever DM, as they say, I've been world building and, and conducting stories and I guess mm-hmm. facilitating mm-hmm. stories is probably a better word for this because, um, and not to derail us too hard on this little rabbit hole, but there's, you know, the role of the game master is really to facilitate a good time. It's not to shoehorn uh, a narrative or an encounter uh, you know, or to, to jam people into an experience that you want them to have that you've dreamed up in your head. That's right, right. screenwriting. That's novel writing. Go, <laughs> go do those things. Force you know? them to read a book. Yeah, those are wonderful, wonderful crafts, but it's not what games can right. create. No, it's not I, I feel it. It makes sense. Right, right. And so I've been doing that for a really long time. And I think really, I'm thinking critically about what it means to tell stories in this medium. And turns out that's what the entire zine scene is generally as one of the things that it's about you know and i don't um i think it's pretty safe uh to dunk on wizards of the coast right now um, oh yeah dunk away yeah. <laughs> um you know they don't really answer those questions with any degree of novelty or or creativity i think the designers on that team are certainly capable of doing so they're probably all better designers than me but they work on a very commercial product and the, the aim right. of that product yeah. as an object on a market you know you know in a market is um, not necessarily to reinvent the wheel or um, – which is not to say that we should be doing that, but to really introduce any kind of novelty at all. It's like I'm Matt Cole right, built right. this excellent video uh, about a month ago about like what are dungeons for? Like what is fifth edition about? And his thesis is that it's not really about anything. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of – it needs to check some nostalgia boxes for Gen X um, and it needs to uh, sell merch and generally facilitate a – like. I don't know, a progression path at a table, but it doesn't, it doesn't create an emotional um, experience with any degree of intentionality. I'm getting off the rails a little bit here. Let me just, let me just. No, you know, you're not though. You're not. Let me refocus. Let me just, let me just focus and say that, that the Matt asked this question, you know, what, what are, what is D and D and his, his speculation is that it's not really necessarily about anything. And then you go and look at like the last 30, 40 years of independent tabletop RPG design. And it's full of much better answers. All these people being like, our game is about this. And then they they have an idea, they have a thesis and they execute mm-hmm. it with mechanics, and atmosphere and art. And then the, the aforementioned physical, you know, uh, materiality of the printed object. And every one of these answers is so much more cogent and 
interesting and resonant to me than D&D as a product. And also like, you know, fifth edition as a system kind of sucks. Like no one ever plays past level eight. So what are all those levels doing? They're like, why would I pick my class based on the capstone I'm never going to experience? I'm just kind of over it. I'm just, I'm over Dungeons and Dragons and I'm just, I'm underneath the tap right now. Just like drinking all of this other content that people have been doing for decades without me. And I'm just so excited to, to arrive here now at this scene to mm-hmm. explore um, just just the wealth of novelty and, and inventiveness that's here. One of my favorite memes after the whole um, OGL leak was, uh, it was something like, uh, all the people who have been saying to you, like, please play something other than D&D are like currently vibrating. Yes. Because <laughs> we're like, yes, uh, this is our time. Yeah. Our time has come. I'm only slightly ahead. Like, I didn't get brought to zines from the the Wizards of the Coast debacle. It's actually Morkborg that brought me here. Oh, Morkborg, yeah, Morkborg was my was my indie gateway drug. Where like I listened to enough metal that, and I make games uh, to the point where I was like, oh, I had enough overlap in that Venn diagram for that game to show up. I wasn't really paying attention to indie tabletop at all. Uh, and then Morkborg came along, and it it reached my my you know reached my desk, and I read it, and I was like, this is like one of the greatest things I've ever read. I don't even know if it's a good at this point i was like i don't know if it's a good system or not it doesn't matter it's just so confident in its artistic identity that like yeah, what else is out here what else what else is mm-hmm. behind this door mm-hmm. um and so i i that's that's where i am uh james are you familiar with phil reed no should i be yeah phil reed does a bunch of um he does a bunch of very cool morkborg stuff if you want to like say R.I.P. to your inbox. Follow him on Kickstarter because he cool. does some I'll, of the coolest stuff. I'll do that. Thank you. Yeah. Nicole is always happy to get someone hooked on something else they can back yeah, on Kickstarter, and that was before end. she worked there. I think it's one of the reasons that she got hired. <laughs> um, when it's funny because people who follow me, like I've had people like, because I'm one of those people who like backs every like I'll check my like what's ending in the next 48 hours? And I'll be like, oh, got to back six things or they're going to end. And then people <laughs> people will reach out to me, people who follow me will reach out to me and be like, are you okay? Like, are you having a bad day? And I'm like, just just hit that, just remember to check Kickstarter and it. saw all the stuff that I'm following. I'm like, That's sorry funny. for the deluge of, you know, three enamel pins, two board games, and a sweater that you just got a notification for. <laughs> <laughs> this is, for the record, though, why I stopped following people on there, because it was just, like, too much. And I was like, I can't, I can't always want this stuff, so. Yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, that one sounds dangerous. Um, it almost reminds me of the Venmo social feed, where I have to find out every time somebody went to brunch. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're like, oh no. Yeah, I don't know how much I want that information. Yeah. Right. So a minute ago, when we were talking about zines and what drew you to zines, you know, sure. I think that what really popped out to me was um, that you kind of went through what I, I, so I don't like zines aren't like a thing I've been super big into. Um, I'm into the idea now. I've been working on some solo journaling games, which people are probably here tired of hearing me talk about the fact that I'm working on them. <laughs> but like, um, you know, and that's not the same as a zine, like always. Sometimes they're very close, but, you know, kind of what specifically makes a zine a zine is something that I think I've always believed. And and please correct me if I'm wrong and, you know, give me a good definition from your opinion, both of you. You know, um, like to me, it's always it's, you know, it's this little magazine looking thing. 
uh it's paper it it's very custom and it's weird like that's those are the things to me that felt like like you know it's not like this is my zine about you know making a powerpoint presentation right like you don't make right. zines about that i mean you could that probably be you, super hipster but like yeah that'd be fun <laughs> yeah i mean i i think a, a missing pillar from that definition that's probably pretty important is the DIY low cost, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. get it out there yourself kind of kind of angle. Like, what, that's actually another reason that I'm attracted to the to the medium is that like the 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 amount. Okay, so like you can do it all yourself. You can like you can you can print them yourself you can write them yourself you can illustrate all of it yourself you it is much harder to make a video game by yourself mm-hmm. oh yeah you can of course, do it yeah. i mean do. i would expect yeah but those, those people are superstars can, and i'm deeply jealous of them you can uh, do crappy like graphic design without knowing graphic design at all you right. can't do crappy code without knowing how to write any code right <laughs> it just won't it won't work. compile yeah it right. just doesn't yeah, yeah. so so yeah, like I, I think that, and it's it's more, it's less of the. Um, actually, that's that's an, an, a dubious statement. Let me just say that um, it's part of it. It's part of the attitude too. I think there's a is a a lack of fussiness, at least theoretically, where you're just like, I'm just, I'm gonna get it out there. I'm gonna get it right. done. And I'm going to print it and it's going to have warts. It's going to have wrinkles, typos, whatever. I'll just print, I'll print a new one, a different does one. Does it have to though? I'll does it have another. to have typos? Is that like, does that require? <laughs> I, really like I, I don't know, but it's so like, much. you don't, you, you, what I imagine you're not, I haven't made a lot of them. You know, I'm, I've only just begun right. and I don't think you're supposed to be precious about it. I don't think you're supposed to right. Right. push the peas around your plate forever. Um, I think you just, you just, you get it out there and you, and you do it over and over again. Um, uh, and you don't spend a lot of money on it, you know, and right. Yeah. I, I will say that, you know, so I'm not good with graphic design. Like I'm okay. Like I've, I've learned a lot over the years out of necessity from like, you know, um, being a game designer and needing to make right. prototypes and, you know, needing right. to make prototypes that aren't garbage, um, you know, so that people can understand them and read them when they play them and stuff. And, um, and I, for myself went and put together like over the course of a few weeks, I put together logos for a bunch of small games I wanted to do um, just to kind of get the logos done for my website, for some stuff. And, um, and what I, one of the things that draws me to the zine idea, like of publishing these journal games is that um, like, it doesn't have to be perfect, right? Like I can make art that's just okay. (laughs) And like, no one's going to care about that. Right. Nobody's going to be like, oh, I'm not going to buy this game because, you know, um, and knowing I think the target audience for this is really helpful, at least to me, where like they're not looking for something that's super polished. Right. They're looking for something that is real. I think it almost feels disingenuous and like borderline corporate if it's too polished. Uh, and that's going to be yeah, a hard yeah. thing. That's going to be a challenge for me because, like, I w- I do want to push those peas around with me. I want it to, I want I want it to sparkle. You know, me too. So, me too. Like, um, like I, uh, you know, I, I come from. I used to do independent films and stuff, and like, and I just and I, I the different places where I've worked, everything always has to be perfect. Like, right, so there's right. this like perfectionism to it. Um, yeah. and so like anything that I've done, like, is always that feeling of like it's got to be perfect, right? Um, and it doesn't always have to be perfect. You know, I mean, I, obviously I'd love it if it didn't have typos and stuff in it, but like the idea that like the artwork isn't 
absolute perfection is okay, right? Like it's it it communicates yeah. the vibe that should be good enough. You right, know? for sure. I, I think if it had to be perfection, there would be far fewer zines. That's and that applies to art in general. You know, like if everything had to be perfect, we wouldn't get anything done. Like perfect is the enemy of done. I forget who said that. It's not me. Don't quote me. Somebody did say, I thought it was perfect is the enemy of good, but I've also heard perfect is the enemy of done. Uh, perfect is the enemy, I think is what we need to remember. Yeah, yeah death um, to perfect. The enemy. Um, I think I we like found the title to, for this episode. I would like to say, yes, please do. That's a great, that's a great title for the episode. Um, I would like to say, um, you mentioned uh, making a zine about a spreadsheet and I wanted to direct your attention to a zine called. About a spreadsheet? It's called Temple of Blank on the Planet Blank. And when you have a second, you should just watch the video because it's just absolutely amazing. It's randomly generated tabletop RPG zines. And he does use a wild uh, spreadsheet for it. That's great. That's great. I do a lot of spreadsheet stuff at work. So let me just let me just spill that into my evening. Thank you, Nicole. I'm so sorry. Please. <laughs> See, and I, I am in love with spreadsheets. I mean, I, so I, for my old day job, when I used to have a day job like that, um, I was, was, I did technical stuff. So it was all spreadsheets, spreadsheets, spreadsheets. Right. And now I still like, I've trained myself to use them so much and they become such a good resource that like, uh, I, I just have to use them for game design. So, I mean, oh, yeah. like, I, I mean, constantly and like, and I don't just do like silly little spread. Like I'm like, who's these formulas that auto calculate everything and like balance stuff. And, right. um, and really I, I lean on it so much to not have to do a bunch of extra work. I spend probably more time sometimes doing all of that than I would if I just put it together, but I like <laughs> the feeling of knowing that it's balanced itself and that it's like, you know, worked through. Like, I really, really like that. I was um, being facetious about dunking on spreadsheets. I am with you. I, I adore the sense of quantitative certainty <laughs> that they give you. Um, right? That's one thing that's like writing is a, a very abstract practice. Um, and, you know, you can misuse punctuation. It's not as simple as just like correctly using, do, executing all the rules. Like if right, you've ever right, read right. Cormac McCarthy's, a genius and he and it's full of run-on sentences and no quotation marks and if and when you're like new you you know when you read blood meridian for the first time you get like it takes like three chapters to figure out that he's a genius in the beginning you're like but he's breaking all the rules and then you keep reading and you're like oh he's a madman right. and a monster right. and I'm obsessed yeah with no um, no i felt the same way the first time i i went in high school um I was writing things and doing things and not liking a lot of the books. And, and for a graduation present, one of my favorite teachers gave me uh, cat's cradle uh, by Vonnegut and like changed. I was, I literally then went and found every single book by Vonnegut yeah, uh, yeah. and read it, you know, and like, like Galapagos, he like puts asterisks by people's names when they're going to die. So you don't get too attached to them. Like, that's I mean, nasty. Like that's, and then he'll even sometimes like in one person, he's like, his days were numbered but not close enough for an asterisk yet. Like, <laughs> like who does, does he have that? a misdirect? Like, Do you ever get an asterisk and then that character survives? I don't think so. It's been a long He's time, a but I don't think so. Trustworthy narrator there. It's cool. And then the, like the one book, I think breakfast of champions. He just like, every time he introduces a male character, he says what their penis length is. Like, uh, great. Including <laughs> himself. Like, it's just like, so great. you're just um, like, what? <laughs> what are you doing? To bring it back to spreadsheets for a second, because I truly do love them. They're also a very generative design tool where you're like, I don't know how much XP it should take to get from 
seven level seven to level eight. Uh, and right, suddenly right. after a table, a table later, you do. Um, yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, or you're like, you know, like, what does it mean to hit hard in this game? Like, what what is that quantitatively? What is that number? Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. You know, and spreadsheets will tell you. They'll tell you what that means, rather than like playing your game a lot and writing down numbers that were heavy. Like, no, no, you can just figure it out ahead of time. And then you obviously right. you tune it, but like you can really educate your guests. Yeah, I I do that a lot with card balancing. Um, even if it's just like, you know, quantity of each card, like in yeah. a in a trick taking game or something like that. Um, being able to just run the percentages and say, okay, yep. this is the percentage. Okay, that's not working. Like, how do I tweak that? And yeah, I think it was fantastic. John Gilmore a long time ago, um, who's a great designer um, and a friend of Nicole and I's. I had um, one time was talking to him about that, and he said that he said every game that I work on, I have a spreadsheet, and I I start off by making everything perfectly balanced. Yes, um, and then I go from <laughs> okay. there to make it fun. Yeah. Right. Yes. Yeah. Because like, a lot of times, perfectly balanced, not fun. But I know that I started with that, so that I could feel like you know that was I checked that that was good. Now let's make it better. This is an um, extremely unrelated but very interesting topic, like the the fun factor of balance. Um, I was listening to the <laughs> the uh, design po- podcast with the Slate Aspire designers on it, and they were oh. talking about how like some of the cards are just like conspicuously OP. And it's awesome. Like they're, it yeah. makes them awesome. And it's like the, balance is actually a lot less important in single player games. It only really matters when you're accountable, when players are accountable to each other. Um, when they're just playing a game, um, it's okay. Immolate can do a, a ton of damage. Like that card rocks, you know? I feel like that you hit that a lot also in Inscription. Inscription has those cards that are just like, I want to say a curse word, but I can't because then Jason will have to bleep it <laughs> just out. Just bleep in OP. They're just F off cards. They're just right. like, especially the ones where it's like, you know, make this card yourself. And you're just right. like, excuse me? Uh, oh, Do you okay. realize what you're saying? You know, that is not done? a good idea. Here's my card. Yeah. That's, um, I remember like uh, a friend of mine who kind of taught me a lot of things I know about playing war games and stuff like that. Back in the day, like we would play, um, oh gosh, it was a D and D minis, and then we played a game called Dreamblade that was a huge failure, but it was a great game. <laughs> um, and you know when he would talk about how how they balanced the um, the figures, he was explaining it to me like you know, and as we talked about a couple episodes ago, you would use the vanilla cost, you would use find the vanilla figures to figure out what the actual cost was for everything, and then you could kind of see and. And I was like, but some of these aren't balanced. Like some of these are outside of that scale. Right. And he's like, oh, right. because they're they're rare. So they get the rare bonus. And I was like, what? He's like, <laughs> well, because in a collectible game, the rare cards get a bonus and are better because they're rare and they're harder to get. And that's what makes you look for them and try to get them. And I was like, oh, that's just dastardly, but Mother smart. <laughs> so <laughs> smart. Right. I, you know, Magic the Gathering had to really reckon with that because there's a competing incentive there where like the product guys are like, well, let's just put all the quality at the upper end of rarity uh, to maximize the number of packs that we need to sell that players are going to buy. Right, right. Um, and, you know, you have to really balance that um, with like against player sentiment because the community will revolt and be like, it is untenable to be competitive in this format. I have right. to, I have to have a playset of like straight mythics to even show up to this, to this 
Friday Night Magic if I want to get right, anything right. at all out of it. Um, yeah, and that's you, that's a good point. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Sorry. Oh no, it's, it's okay. I mean, it's like you can look, you can read, you can like watch the Magic design team oscillate, you know, swing on this pendulum as like sometimes they're going to push, you know, mythics for a little bit, and then you'll read them. You'll read about them being like, we're going to push the pendulum back. And then they will, they'll print like tragic slip or something at, at uncommon, uh, you know, just a really very powerful removal spell. Um, right. that there were more of them, you know, out there in the world, but that card was still worth dollars. Like, like, you know, with a, you know, whole dollars, um, at uncommon, oh, even though there were dollars. lots of them printed right. in, in, because in, in they circulation. Were so good, right? Yeah. It was that good. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, and that is a really interesting balance thing, right? Because, um, like I, I've been playing this, this game, Marvel snap for quite yeah. a while. And it's a, and, it's, yeah, a it's yeah. It's and so me. like, and we've I talked about it on the show yet. and I, I, I won't, Nicole, you haven't, that's, that's totally uh, cool. And I also I haven't get either, but I recognize that it's supposed to be this like massive, you know, yeah, like, I've, 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 I'm like afraid to play it. Cause everybody talks about like how addictive it is. And I'm like, mm, I can't, yeah, no, it's, yeah, I, I mean, I need another card game right now. Right. Don't, yeah. yeah. I play it. I play it a lot. Right. Like, and I mean, they probably, I don't know, 20 games, 30 games a day, which, you know, for that's like 40 minutes. Cause they they go super fast. Right. Um, but anyways, um, one of the things about that, like, is the game is built as not pay to win. And it's, it's really not like you can get pretty much everything you need for free. You just get it faster. If you're willing to pay 10 to 15, but 10, but I think it's nine right, ninety nine. What's that premium. Yeah. It's like a premium yeah, or like, yeah. yeah, you know, but like, like when you inherently look at a game like magic, the gathering, like they're always going to be pay to win to an extent because you literally can't play without investing money. Right. Into it, right. right? Yeah. Um, but like, that's also like a no brainer because like it's a product, right? You have to make the product, right? Um, so I know it sounds dumb to highlight that, but it's like, I see now when you say that, like the balance of like, we can't make all the best cards super expensive yeah, because yeah. then truly it is like, if you're the best, you know, because you have all the money and you're not right. an idiot, yeah. like, and you can play you will win, right? I don't I don't think it's a dumb thing to highlight at all. Ma Magic the Gathering remains uh, a, a relevant reference right, on right. a number of fronts. There's like a ton of different topics you can you can drill down on uh, mm -hmm. to which Magic is very relevant. And monetization will always be one of them. People talk about Magic as actually being the first gotcha game. Um, yeah, you know, I could see that, yeah. Uh, because it introduced the idea of, of randomized content in little monetize in little packs that you paid money for was that the first game to do that okay i, mean, I don't know i don't know if it was the first game per I se but it's like the you know, that's the one we all remember is the big even the big if it was the first game i mean they clearly stole those ideas from sports cards right i mean like probably yeah, yeah I'm, sports too, cards I'm too young were, to really know sports cards were around in like the 50s or earlier so sure, I, i'm not yeah. into sports cards i never have been back in jason's um, day but um <laughs> But I've seen the Sandlot, and so like I understand. <laughs> yes. uh, but yeah, I mean, those are loot boxes. Those are little physical loot boxes. Right, right, yeah. That was my um, sports cards. I'll never yeah. forget the first time when I realized that they had they had started making Magic: The Gathering online, uh, which was quite a while ago. Like you know, I mean, like many many years, right? And it was before everything was online. It was before like you were playing all these iOS games and stuff like that, where you expected to spend a bunch of money online. Right. And um, 
And I remember just mm-hmm. laughing and being like, magic has finally done it. Like they've made you buy packs of something that doesn't exist. Like you right. literally are buying vapor. Let's, uh, let's talk about what you mean by exist. We do it with, let's with talk different about what games. you mean by exist. Yeah. Define no, exist. No, 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 this is really interesting. I'm not going to get Buddhist on you here. I, I want to talk about what we mean by, and this is relevant to zines again, because I'm celebrating the, analog physicality of full the, circle full circle full circle yeah, yeah, yeah. Good job bringing it back to zines you need a job as a podcast host because <laughs> we i would trade nicole for you in a heartbeat yeah i'm i'm terrible at this i'm kidding the community would riot <laughs> uh, <laughs> um uh, what was i gonna say i forget full, full oh. circle zines definitely digital exist. card games okay so so Digital, digi- digital digitality, you know, being online, yeah, 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 um, yeah. video games make it possible for card games to do things that cards, physical cards, cannot do, and that yeah, is yeah, cool. Absolutely, so there yeah, is a yeah. there is a use case, like an actual valid, um, you know, value add, that you, like a unique value add. That oh, you can I mean, get. the game I mentioned, Marvel Snap playing that physically would be the worst thing ever because of all the yeah. math and calculations you'd have to do that the game yeah, just does yeah. for you exactly what's one of the best things video games do is take the crunch off of your hands problem is they can't fill the gaps between that crunch this is why tabletop is so excellent because the human brain is amazing at 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 filling the, those causal gaps and i think that's actually like this is a monologue i do all the time but i think that's actually what you know makes the human brain interesting you know, as it differentiated from its predecessor brains, like when we saw lightning hit the tree and it sparked a fire, we were like, oh, cool. I understand a causal relationship do that, that. and that <laughs> fire. And then, of course, philosophy yeah. came along later and got really annoying and like undermined that that causality, you know, in a really pedantic, un- un- unreasonable way. But regardless, we we noticed that like lightning caused fire and that's a story. That's what stories are, is like if A, then B, you know, uh, and so um this is all to say that uh video games struggle with stuff like procedural and emergent systemic narrative mm-hmm. which is really the holy grail that i'm in the field to, to you know to secure and they struggle with it because they don't know what you're gonna do and there's lots of things that you might want to do and it's not right, right. logistically possible to create a branching causal you know outcome to configure that ahead of time. So you have to build systems that are modular uh, and recombinatory and can account for, can produce in an emergent way, interesting narrative outcomes that are truly player driven. Um, again, holy grail. No one's really done this in a way. And there's tons of people trying and all, all kinds of talks on the subject, blah, blah, blah. Some do it better than others. Nobody ever does all of it right. You know, each game will you know, progress some point of it. Um, I do not remember what we were talking about. Oh yes, okay. So 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 this is why this is what uh, tabletop is games. This is, this is why tabletop RPGs are so cool, right? Because they 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 take that burden of connecting A to B off of the computer, which can't really handle it yet, and they just say like, "Hey, human brain, just have a dungeon master who is the authority on what happens," and they'll just say to the table, "Oh, A led to B because." x you know and and that's a story and we can all do that together because our brains are capable of it because right. we have not oh you're going in a different direction great let's go in yeah. that direction great let's know? yeah let's be let's be agile and 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 generative and creative um great this is why we're playing these games um um i mean i honestly well. think the game that's done that one one of the best games to do that is like a game like minecraft where people have just yes, of course yeah, yeah. It a bajillion times to do whatever they wanted to do yep. right minecraft door fortress rimworld all the systemic procedural stuff really really exciting the point i was eventually going to make and i'm so sorry for that uh 
no, outrageous it, detail. It's interesting. It's interesting. This has been incredible. <laughs> How dare you apologize? <laughs> is that um, card games? Um, I think this is relevant. I think this is what we were trying to say. Card games can do stuff with cards as a metaphor um, that physical cards cannot. So this is a thing that video games can do that tabletop cannot. You know, as like as sort of like the inverse of that previous point. So, um, did you guys ever play? Are you familiar with a game called Soul Forge? S O L and then the word Forge. So yeah. Um, also not a commercial success. Um, uh, really sad to see them faceplant in the way they did because that game, that design, absolutely blew my socks off. I have no socks, none. Um, they were just a fan. It was just a fantastic experience because cards could level up. You know, when you played a card, there would be three different versions of it, and whenever you played one, its next version up would go into your discard pile that you would draw into as you kept playing cards. And so cards could be balanced, not just as a single object, but as three versions of an object. And then you would have, you know, you'd have cards that like, maybe they were really trash at their level one, but they were a absolute game ending control finisher at level three. Club bangers. Yeah. Just like some insane monster that would come out and dumpster your opponent. And you had to invest in that because it wasn't available at level one. And that meant a huge trade-off in the early game. Maybe you don't make it. That's what control decks and card games are always trying to do is just get to the end game. They want to just not die while you, you know, empty your tank against them. All of a sudden you've got no cards in hand and they're sitting there on a robust grip with like some huge 40-40 in play. So like Soulforge allowed that um, allowed that level of content design. It was a new way of thinking about cards as content for me, and I will be forever grateful. Yeah, there was a cool. card game that did that, and I can't remember what it was, where it came with sleeves, and you would actually upgrade your card. It's a physical game. You would upgrade your card, and I forget what it was called. It wasn't, was it Terra Mystica? That's super cool. It's very cool, but it's like, it's one of those things that I would just rather do digitally do you know what i mean i'd rather like right i'd rather yeah. let oh, a computer oh, do it. right okay so soulforge continues to be an excellent example here because they are now a physical product um i played it at pax east uh pax unplugged excuse me uh, about a month and a half ago uh they had you know they had a team there uh and a buddy of mine uh who works for panda i think he's a panda the printing board game printing company mm-hmm, um yeah he was there and he walked me through it and I was familiar with all the cards. I like remember all the mechanics, but I had to do everything. I had to micromanage all of those. Uh, it was just busy work. And so like, it's still, it was still soul forge. I still had fun. I'm so glad I played the game, but I would never play it uh, to the degree which I did before. Right. Yeah. It's just not, it's just not the same. It's just not the same. Sure. Ain't Nicole. Sure. Ain't. Sure. Ain't. Sure. Ain't. <laughs> so, so back to zines. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> this has been a windy uh, I, conversation, but I've I've appreciated every bit of it. It's been fantastic. So, you know, you've got no complaints from me. Um, I'm like super loving this. Um, I'm trying to think if I've got another relevant zine that I can um just just slip in there. But I, don't I have know. a bunch like laid out like on the I desk, but I don't forget XO to talk about. Them. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like um, tell us about some of your favorite zines, James, or things you're working on. Either one, it's totally cool. Or both. Uh, Maybe your favorite ones are the ones you've made along the way. No, that would be cool that would be unspeakably arrogant. Also, please, that. also please talk about Heart Sweat. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, well, let me praise. Let's let's spend some time praising other people first. Uh, I'd love to promote myself. Thank you so much. You know, but like, let's. There's a lot of really great work out there, um, and I want to you know shine some light. Um, first and foremost, as a um, as a forever DM, 
you know, or GM because we're abstracting beyond D and D now. Uh, as a forever GM, um, there are some systems that bring a lot to the table in ways I just don't value. They're just not interesting to me. And so, like, you know, I'm going to say my favorite my favorite system here, uh, and it might not be your favorite system, listener. Uh, you might prefer other other emphases, uh, and you know, power to you have those kind of games. But for me, index card RPG absolutely crushes it. It's just mm-hmm. it's just the best lineup of of very specifically focused mechanics and systems like everything in this book everything in this system is is curated to to emphasize the stuff the specifically the stuff that matters at a table it's like how is urgency created how is a sense of like uh like like the like you know how how can we we mechanize how can we systematize a sense of impending doom like how can we create how can we control pacing in combat in an encounter in a mechanized you know numerical way um that uh really like dispels that sense of boredom that you so often get in turn-based tabletop rpgs people just end up on their phones um right really it's like hey what's your it's your turn it's your turn, Steve. Oh, what am I supposed to do? Steve's oh, like, oh shit. Oh, excuse me. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't, yeah. Steve, every time. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Steve. You know, I was like, I understand, but like, I empathize with Steve because the the table was uninteresting uh, for the last twenty four minutes. Um, everyone's just like, it's your turn. Twenty minutes apart, and then you roll um, and you miss. <laughs> Let me guess. The person, the person, it was it was a sorcerer, and they were playing fifth edition D anD D, and everybody yeah. just tuned out. Or yeah. it was the so, hacker, and they were playing sixth edition Shadow. Uh, what is it? Uh, shadow Runner, Shadow Run, Shadow, shadow Run. run. Shadow. Yeah. And shadow everybody run. went to dinner. So index card RPG just it it's it, it really simplifies a lot of the crunch that wasn't actually helpful. Like crunch can be awesome. I love me some crunch when it's time for crunch. You know, I don't mind looking up a table and putting together bits and bobs to make a thing. That's pretty cool. But you know, not everything, not every enemy in the in the encounter necessarily needs their own dice check. What if they were all the same? What if there were just a target number that everyone were rolling for, and it was a singular value that everybody rolled against, and you you eliminate that those moments, those like you know, they're only seconds sometimes, but those downtime moments of like looking right. stuff up and it just, it, it facilitates a much smoother, much slicker experience. And we need that stuff right now because all our brains are broken. So it's really helpful to be able to <laughs> stay on, on target. Ha ha. Um, uh, in a, in a really slick way. So index card RPG, I'm just, I, like, I flipped through this book and I'm, um, consistently blown away by a, the selection of gameplay, like what kind of, of things do we take the time to care about and mechanize? Um, and then their answers, the actual the actual content is so novel all the time. Uh, it, it, it's such a good system. It's not actually not really a zine though, is the thing though. Uh, I know we're supposed to be talking about zines. Um, That's this okay. Is a great no, no, table no, no. Just I like you wait until yeah. the end to say that. People are like, oh, I'm going to check this zine out. And you're like, I c- not actually a zine. <laughs> yeah, kind of a hardback book. It's actually a video game. Um, yeah. It's, just, it's a video game. Yeah, it's um, actually a podcast. Um, yeah. No, I, um, I honestly, I didn't, it didn't even occur to me until I got to the end of the explanation. Um, I'm just excited about it. It's really cool. That's awesome. And it sounds interesting. Super. Okay. Cool. If we want to talk about zines, okay. Um, there's on the total opposite end of the system of uh, the spectrum, um, there's a Southeast Asian. Uh, world building emphasis like zine series called a thousand thousand islands um and i'm really excited about this for a couple reasons a the writing is good um 
and B, it's just like mostly writing with some really light line work. And that is very much in keeping with the spirit of zines as I understand it, where it's just like, hey, mm -hmm. this is um, very like low fidelity. It didn't take the production value is very reasonable for like one or two people to produce. Um, and it's just all quality. Like, they, like someone lovingly spent time selecting, you know, which words to use here. And uh, there's not a lot of it's like, excuse me. This art is amazing. Yeah, yeah. There's no wasted space. Um, it's um, they're just setting guides. Basically, it's just like, hey, here's a world with some characters, and they might want some stuff. They have fears and aspirations, and feel free to run with it or just cherry pick the content to drop it in your world. Um, so this is all really exciting as a format for me. Like I, as a writer, as a world builder, this just doesn't busy itself with a crunch. It's like, ah, we don't care. Here are some tables. You know, here are like six things that this character might care about. Like six, you know, um, you know, six details that might add texture to the scene, but are otherwise like, mm -hmm. you know, you can select from them if you want, or you can roll on the table, whatever. Like it's all really, really well done. The last reason I'm I'm very very excited about this this IP is that it's not Eurocentric fantasy. Um, you know, we're three white people. Um, uh, yeah, and I like so it's not really my place to be introducing antidotes you know to this to this problem per se right. um but i'm really grateful to see when anyone does um mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. uh, coyote and crow i think uh, or what's called crow and coyote i forget uh there's a, a massive indigenous american alternate history rpg and it's great we need more of that stuff it's just exciting to see something other than knights in castles or or like you know nordic viking fantasy stuff like i i feel like there's only so <laughs> there's just only so much left in those tanks there's probably yeah, still fine. more novel to be tea to be Is found there, i mean like maybe like you know but i, I don't know maybe there's not anything left. maybe there's there. not maybe we're done i i don't know and, and many people love those things I mean, for many people it's, it's their heritage um right. i'm greek and polish and so um i have the privilege of you know being sent to college and learning about the world. And I feel like I can afford to, um, you know, have interests outside of that, of those heritages. You know? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Uh, you know, there's lots to unpack there. Um, I, I am nevertheless a great fan of a thousand thousand islands. It looks awesome. Very, very into it. it sounds very cool. Um, okay, one more scene. One more scene that's great. Um, there's a map labeling game called Beak, Feather, and Bone. Um, I have yet to play this. I keep bringing it to places, and everyone's like, no, let's play this big board game. I'm like, but let's start with Beak, Feather, and Bone. Um, okay, you're like, hear me. What if we did this who, who did that one? Uh, Beak, Feather, and Bone is by Tyler Crumrine. Map is okay. Jonathan Yee. Illustrations by Austin Breed. It sounded like something that Gian Shim would have done. Possible <laughs> World Games. These illustrations are off the charts. Yeah, there's this. There's, it's very crow, <laughs> crow themed. I um, love these crows. These right look up like your crows that are about to start doing crimes. Row haunted alley. Yeah, watch out for that tax evasion. Um, so the gist <laughs> of this game is like it, it comes with it comes with some black and white illustrations uh, of maps. Um, uh, and it's just like top-down view of a city from I don't know a mile off the ground. You can see the whole city from above. You see like the general, the general shapes and forms of buildings, and they're all really different and interesting. There's like big, obvious auditoria-looking stuff, and then there's like tight little warrens and I don't 
like residential districts and temples and towers. And it's just, it's designed to have, it's illustrated to have a variety of building types because the game is all about assigning functionality and social weight hmm. and history to those buildings. So basically you, you draw from a deck of cards, you take turns drawing from a deck of cards, each player representing a fictional faction within that world. Um, and you can, the book gives you a bunch of, the zine gives you a bunch of um, factions that you might, you know, want to be like the merchants, the mages, the miners, the farmers, the strangers, the elders. There's a bunch of there's some world building here to just help you along, and you can just kind of execute this world if you want. But you could also mm -hmm. just make up your own. You could have like the the thespians. I don't know. You just make up your own factions, and so you take turns drawing from a deck of cards, and according to the rules uh, that the game lays out, um, you get to like pick a building in this map and define its function. Uh, and then the you know the the, the card type you drew uh, is going to uh, stipulate the purpose of the building. So like hearts are a social purpose, diamonds financial, clubs are future, and spades a past, like a previous future uh, thing. Maybe mm -hmm. it's derelict and abandoned now, but this is what it was in the past. You get to say, and right, then you, right. you you physically draw on this map. You mark it uh, forever. It's done. You like you next you, you you consume this this page, this map this, this map in a in a a given run of the game, and and you go around and you you you, you maybe highlight or you label um, the the buildings that you've that you've uh, created and and invented histories and purposes for. And if you draw a face card, I think you if I get this right, I don't have the time to look up exact rules here. But if you draw a face card, you have to make an NPC character. Um, and if you draw a face card on the back of your note card, also describe a rival from another player's community who opposes that building's purpose. Um, so you like, it, it, it's like a beef generator where you come up with, <laughs> you come up with conflict, um, which is the essence of story. You know, it's the, it's like the primary driving ingredient in a narrative, um, that connects all of the little otherwise isolated, um, mm -hmm. little, little stories that you're trying to tell. And so when you're done, you've created a city that is rich with characters and history and lore, um, and ambitions and projects and, and grudges and uh, this I've, the best description I've heard of this game as uh, is the ideal session zero for another game like play this first oh, like to yeah, yeah. To set up your yeah play this That's first good. and then play a campaign of whatever you want inside it um, and that That's is a great a, idea fantastic like meta designs meta space for mm -hmm. a game to exist in like it's a game for other games that prepares you for other games um huge fan huge fan that's sweet like right, that. i'm done monologuing you may you <laughs> thank you <laughs> well so now uh tell us about um uh, tell us about a zine you worked on or working on sure um i've got a couple projects um you know on the stove right now on various burners um, I'll tell you about the one I just put out. Um, it's not really a, a zine so much as it is like a tiny little micro RPG. Um, I put out a little game called Heart Sweat, um, and it's I printed it on A6 because it's cute. It's a cute size, um, mm -hmm. and I am really interested in uh, what I hope to make a book of later called IRL RPGs. Like I want to add, I want to leverage game like RPG mechanics and systems, especially progression systems in my actual life i want to i want to add fun little gameplay hooks to just like things that i do that are otherwise mundane 
because I know what it feels like to play RPGs and I know how satisfying it makes me feel. Mm-hmm. And my brain is broken. I'm a dopamine junkie. So I want there, I want to create like a sense of being a fantasy hero when I walk to get coffee, you know, and I want, um, I, one of the hardest parts about solo games, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, Jason, because you know, you're working on these and um, I think they're really fascinating, but I can't really get through any of them because I'm not accountable to other people. It's, there's, I'm haunted by the specter of pointlessness, um, which is a bad specter. I hate him. Uh, and That's why I, I can't play solo board games because I'm yeah. like, I'm like what thing, am I doing? Yeah. I yeah. rarely play solo board games. games. Yeah, I could just cheat. It doesn't matter. My victory is irrelevant. You know, like exactly. it, we need each other. We're a very, very social species. Yeah, yeah. And so, so Heart Sweat is a game that um, is really just the beginning of what I hope to be like a broader theme in my work where I want to leverage our, our relationships, other people for the accountability mm-hmm. that make these games right. worth playing. So Heart Sweat is a, the, the, you know, the title here, the, the subtitle is a solo RPG about doing better by others. And I did not set out to make a game that mechanized kindness. Uh, it's just the game that kept trying to appear on the page. And eventually, mm-hmm. I, and I was like talking to my girlfriend about it. I was like, I was basically just trying to build a quest generator where you would, maybe you would roll on a table for the location. And then maybe you would roll on um, another table for like a theme or something. And it was just too procedural. It was too system soupy. It didn't actually matter. Mm-hmm. It just felt like noise. Um, and then I was like, okay, let me just curate. Let me just write. I'll just write. I'll prescribe uh, a table of little cutesy quests. Like, ah, leave an object from your house secretly in this restaurant. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. And like, it was fun. It was cute, but it didn't like, still didn't matter. It still didn't do anything. And then I kept trying to like, I found myself coming up with a list of virtues that I thought were interesting. Like, oh, here's like some things that, like some ways that you could be nice. Um, and I kept, I was kept pitching it to my girlfriend. I was like, this is, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? And she was just like, that is a self-help game. It's really self-helpy. And I was like, you're right. I don't want to, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't feel like making a self-help game. And then eventually I was just like, let me just make the self-help game. It just keeps trying <laughs> to be, let me just get that out, you know, cause I don't have to print that. I can just, but let me just get it out and see what it looks like fully formed. And it rocked. It just like came together. And I was like, oh, this is, I mean, that other game might still happen. I might be able to solve that problem, but on the way it led me to heart sweat. And so the general mm-hmm. idea is that like you write down, you have a list, it's like two columns, right? You have people and virtues and the pairings are your quests. So like you come up with a list of people that you want to do better by, like your, your grandma or your dad, um, you know, the, the, the attendant at the gas station on your commute who says hi to you every day and you weren't, you weren't nice enough to him last time. So you, you, know, you want to make a point of that. You write them down mm-hmm. on, on the, 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 the person column. And then there's a little table of virtues. Uh, and I hand selected six virtues. I know there are more. Um, I excluded some virtues that I don't value. Um, uh, that's and, fair. Yeah. Because I think that's what you do. About that. Yeah. That's what you do as designers. I think you, you want to, you want to be really intentional about the emotional experience yeah, and the, yeah. or even the ideological experience that you want people to inhabit. Um, and so uh, my virtues here are patience, courage, compassion, gratitude, diligence, and humility. I think those are the ones here that work best in this context. I certainly value others that aren't on this list. Um, I don't value a few obvious ones that are not on this list. Um, and the idea is that like, you know, you, for each person on your, on the person column, you roll a, on the, on the virtue table and assign them a virtue. You can pick one if you really think that's what matters. Um, but I think it's a little more fun if you're being given a prompt, um, you know, to Mm -hmm. circle back Mm -hmm. to our, like, you know, prompts are generative, uh, point there. And, uh, there are two, two points, two types of points that you use to track your emotional progress in this game. There's sweat, which is just a measurement of effort and it's, it's impermanent. You wipe it away. And then there's heart, heart points. You keep those forever. So at the end of every day, so, okay, when you complete a quest, right, you, uh, or rather let's talk about, okay, so I have a pair, right? It's my grandmother and, 
uh, I got patience for that. Is that's 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 the one, you know, because old people mm-hmm. are hard. Um, and so, um, I mean, we love them, but they're they're they try your patience. It's like tales old as time. So, um, whenever you complete, whenever you serve that person, you know, whenever you perform the virtue listed in service of that person, mm-hmm. however you define that, it's yours to define. When it happens, you'll know. Um, you complete the quest and you cross it out and you give yourself a point in sweat. Congratulations, you you sweated today. You were patient with your grandma. Um, and at the end of your day, if you completed any quests at all, you will roll a d6. And if you roll less than sweat minus heart, you get to treat yourself. Congratulations, you've earned it. Have a have a milkshake. Um, and then you cross out all your heart, all your sweat points, and you give yourself a point to heart. So every day that you do this, those heart points are there forever. So every day that you do this, the number uh, by which you decrement uh, your, your sweat score is going to scale upward with how much you've done this already, how big your heart is, um, because you want it to be harder. You shouldn't get to just treat yourself every time you do something nice. It should be, Mm -hmm. you need to earn, uh, in typical RPG fashion, you know, on an an RPG progression curve, it takes more experience points to earn the next level. So heart is, uh, the heart, the heart system here is just delaying that carrot further and further and further. And it probably breaks, you know, after like five or six hard points, who cares? No one's going to play this for any longer than that anyway. It doesn't matter. These, these systems don't need to hold up forever as long as they give us, um, you know, the value and the the experience that is intended and desired. Um, and it's such a low price point. It's like $5. So like, um, and I have a printer, printer-friendly printer version on my on my itch uh, that you can download and just like print it if you want to play. It's, I, this is not a commercial product. I don't care. Uh, you know, it'd be cool to break even on the printing cost. But like for the most part, like I just wanted to make a cute little thing and made me feel good and help, helps other people be good to each other. Right, right. I love that. I love that. And you mentioned, um, you know, the idea of like what keeps people accountable and what my opinion on that. I, I, I don't know. Like I, I'm hoping uh, with mine because I haven't put one out yet, uh, but I've got the one I'm, I'm working on right now. And I'm hoping that the questions and the story are intriguing enough that it makes you want to do it. Mine are all designed to help you be self-reflective and like really like think through things in a different way. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to make sure that everyone has like a legitimate reason to exist. It's not just like, like all derivative. Right. Um, and, uh, and so because of that, like it's, yeah, it's, it's tricky knowing if somebody will complete it. Um, but I, I think I try to remember that if, if somebody starts it and doesn't complete it, that it's not necessarily on me. Right. Like it's, that was them, like right, choosing not to do it. Yeah, maybe I, I mean, write yes something and good no. For them to do. It's it's right? hard but... to fully agree with that, you know, because like like a system that or a game that it, that doesn't want to get you to the end, that doesn't like take responsibility for your continued investment, is not going to right. get it. You know, it's like it becomes well, Dungeons I mean, and Dragons. I want them to go to the end, and I want the game to provide that for them. But I also understand, you know, like Nicole and I were both saying, we don't play solo games because. Like what's the like? It just doesn't. Right. Yeah, like exactly. I mean, we, my yeah. friend Chris Kopak and Nicole's friend too. Like he plays the crap out of solo games, like so right. much, um, and he loves the experience of those. And I just can't do it most of the time because right. Right. if I'm going to sit down and do something, to me, games are interactive, right? So, right. yeah. So for this sort of thing, like I basically want to use it to tell a story that right. I think will keep people engaged uh, enough to you know make them want to get all the way through it right but i have right, to right. remind myself that 
if they don't, that's not necessarily because the game was a, you know, like was bad for them. It could just be, uh, in addition to that, that like, you know, they just didn't like, they just didn't decide, they just decided not to finish it. Right. Yeah, exactly. They were busy. Yeah. And a hundred percent, no, no disagreement. Like you cannot control for the circumstances of people's lives or the variety of interest that your players might, might have, right. might bring to the table. It'd be, it'd be, this is the kind of thing that like player data would be player retention data would be really helpful right, right, right. from a design perspective, but it's not available. You would not be able to get this. You would only get yeah. select self-report, which is notoriously biased because all the people who take the time to do so are the ones who feel very strongly in some direction. Um, that The middle of that curve just isn't going to do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But that's a really it's a, it's a really interesting design challenge in this context. You know, It's like right. we've got answers for it elsewhere, but it's really interesting here. Right. Like, how do you get people, especially because like one of the things I've considered a lot is like when somebody sits down with, with my game, like, you know, so the first game I'm working on, it's called, I remember home. It's about being away for some reason and you can't communicate with your family um, because of the job you have. You're not allowed to communicate with people on the outside, but you've realized that you can pull up your security cameras from outside of your house and you can watch them. Um, and you have no way to communicate back and forth, but you can see what's happening vaguely, right? Like you can see what's happening yeah. outside of your house. Um, and you go through and you think about that and you see things and you try and make some thoughts about it. But like you have no way to ask questions or do anything, right? Um, and, you know, so each time you look at the camera, it's it's a day. It's a different day. Maybe it's the first, maybe it's day one and then day two, day three. And now maybe it's day four or day six or but like the idea of like if i ask someone to play this over 30 days like they're not going to do it right because that's when you're going to forget like so like reminding myself that it's okay like even if that was my original intent it's okay that they may just play it all in one night right they just sure, may yeah. go through and do it all at one time because that's you know that may be how it has to happen to make it work is this right? a journaling so, game like what are the player inputs like what do they do um, so you basically like the, yes, it's, it's a journaling game. So like the idea is that, you know, you see something and then you're asked questions about what you saw and like, you know, how do you feel about that? You know? And, um, yeah. And there's some real decision points, but like, it leads you on a guided journey, um, through the, you know, through the whole thing. And like, um, and I went back and forth a lot on things like specificity of, how much do I want to specify about the family? Right. Like, do I just want to say partner or spouse? Right. Like, so, okay, so you're married to this person, but like, should I keep their gender hidden um, so that you can imagine it's you or maybe you're a character, right? Maybe you're thinking about it that way. Um, You know, like, Oh, they have a pet, like, like, or they have kids, you know, and some of the people that play this aren't going to have a spouse or kids, but like, you know, I mean, I, um, so those are things that like really were challenging to me in the beginning of trying to decide. And I finally just went with, I'm going to just say, this is what you've got. Right. With the exception of spouse, I'm just using spouse as like, um, uh, you know, that it's just like, um, uh, like you have a spouse, you have kids, you have a dog, right. right. The dog is right. old. Like these are the things that are happening. Right. So dog. like, um, yeah. And, and that's my situation, right? I have a spouse, I have two kids, I have an old dog. Right. Uh, and I also have like six security cameras around the outside of our house because 
Yeah, because I is have this you in real life. It just now? makes You're... me feel better. What is this you in real life now? Are you describing your actual? I'm describing life? my real life. Yes. Okay, yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> we went on a trip to Georgia uh, over the course of uh, like a Christmas trip, and somebody was right. watching our dog, and so like I could see what was happening outside of the house. Yeah. Um, and I could see the dog go outside. I'm like, oh, the dog's doing well. That's nice, you know. And um, it was a very unintrusive way to not like bother the person watching the dog. Um. You know, yeah, also my friends not have some anyone. cats and I went to check on their cats and I knew that they had a nest camera. So every time I went, I would be sure to like strike a pose with yeah, the camera. Right, 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 hand. right. Yeah. So like, you know, I'm not about like, like anyone's privacy, like getting like messed up, but it's like, this is exterior cameras outside of my house, right? Like you are on, they're visible. You are on yeah. camera, you can tell. I think this um, is a really interesting design challenge. Um, right, right. It's, it's, it's really interesting. And it's, it's one that is so much more easily solved digitally. Mm-hmm. like a security camera footage game sounds awesome sounds like a great little right, indie game right. on switch i would i would love that game um, yeah yeah right and that is something that you know like that's something i went back and forth on you know so basically for me with with these ideas i'm trying to think of scenarios that seem interesting um a lot of times hooked with a title that sounds interesting to me right. and like you are doing this thing and it's going to make you think about things and explore things and, you know, um, and it's all building up to a, a big zine indie solo journaling game I want to make that would play out, you know, like it would be in like a large scale book and it would play out. You would you would play the game out over years in the game um, of daily life. Um, and that's a big design challenge. And I've decided to do these smaller ones first. I think you're going to learn. Yeah, that sounds. Yeah, I think you're not going to do that project if you don't do these first. You'll never. And that was the thing. I was real excited about that project, and I was like, "I'm going to mess this up, and I'm going to (laughs) quit." So, like, I have it all set up. I know what I want, and now I'm going to see what works. You know, Um, the second project I'm working on, just to throw it out there, because I would love to hear your thoughts on this, is uh, is um, it's uh, I for some reason I thought it would be really funny if like I had one called Dog Mom. Um, and when you think of like when somebody's like, I'm a dog mom or like, I'm a dog dad or, you know, like I'm a cat, cat dad. dad. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like y- you have a thought with that, but I thought, what if, what if the mom, um, had a teenager, uh, who was a werewolf? Um, and so like, you know, that you're, you're a dog mom, um, cause your kid's a werewolf. And so, uh, that, I, I mean, like, that rules. Yeah. I Parenting a werewolf. Is a... I'm sorry. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. You may, you may praise him first. No, yeah, I was just gonna say I love that. It reminds me of that uh, Thirty Rock where it was like werewolf bar mitzvah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've not heard of that. That sounds. I mean, I've heard of Thirty Rock, but I didn't hear about that. So I'll send it to you. That's um, awesome. So, yeah. So the, in in that originally was meant to be just like a game. It was going to be a journaling game where it would talk through like the three days of the month, like where like you know like the fir- the day before the full moon, where like there's like some stuff, and then the full moon, and then the next day, um, and then like you kind of prepping for the next month. But then one of my friends, when I explained it to him, Tim Devine was like, oh, is that a game about managing your calendar around your kid turning into a werewolf? And I'm like, well, it is now. It is now. Yeah, it's so a great like, system. I love that. Right? Oh, yeah. So, good, good so the interface. idea is that you, know? you, you would be answering questions and stuff. But then in between those times, there would be a calendar for the next month. And you would have to, like, try and figure out what to do to I, avoid things and stuff. I, my wheels are already turning. Like, there's some, like looking ahead and looking back in time sound really interesting with a tal- a calendar as a record of those events or as like a like you know 
a sign of what's to come. Like having a date that is coming towards you, whether or not it's exciting, whether it's good or bad is really interesting. It's like on the 30th, it's my son's birthday and he's a werewolf. And so I have to be, I have to prepare for a werewolf birthday party for a 12 year old. Um, Or or like looking back, you know, that one's a little harder to answer. I'm trying to figure out like a harder example, useful, like looking back in the past. Okay. Like how many times this month, I guess might be a way. Like how many times this month has X occurred? Right. Um, how right, how many right. days has it been since X occurred? Right, um, right, right. And what what things can I do for next month to prepare? And oh gosh, I yeah. can't move. I there's nothing I can do about him not going to school on this day because it's right. it's a you know it's his exams. So like, oh, oh and it's, if he's in school, you know, if he's in school, then the days of the week matter. He's yeah, in school right. Monday through Friday, but he's not in school Saturday and Sunday unless it's right. a snow day or a holiday. And right. like those yeah. maybe drive urgency if you have some sort of. Like if you have some sort of mechanic for like how wild this kid is just as a kid, I don't even mean as a werewolf, but like how like stoked is he, you know, to get out and, and do stuff. I mean, no, so my idea is like the, the, the story actually, cause I started writing it and then my friend said the thing about the calendar and I was like, okay, not the first one I'm going to do um, because I want to, again, I want to get my feet wet with this and then kind of go back to it. Right. But like, um, you know, my intention was that the first, the first time that this happens the day before the first full moon is where it starts. Right. So like the kid is now, this is happening to them and, uh, you know, you just have figured this out and they've just figured this out. And so now you're trying to like manage it on the fly. Yeah. Um, I think you're onto something. This is a really cool idea. So, thanks. Thanks. Yeah. I'm, these I'm, are a great format for it. You know, right. It's a, right. Like, I mean, we print, we print calendars. You could even print it on a calendar. You don't like you could, right. this yeah, game could be yeah. big, physically large, right. Maybe like a place right. setting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With some sweet art at the top. Yeah. And like and drawn, of course, but. Yeah, I'm, uh, this is this is a cool idea. Thanks. Yeah, no, thanks. It's uh, it's nice to hear somebody say that. So, uh, so I haven't talked about it a lot yet because um, now you're talking about it on a podcast. What I I mean, I pretty much talk about everything on this podcast. I mean, this is the one place where, <laughs> unless it's under NDA, I I'll talk about most of the things I'm working on just because that's right. kind of the point of our podcast is that it's a documentary style. So you know, is there anything else you wanted to to either of you made sure we wanted to chat about before we went? Um. I mentioned so many of the zines I already wanted to. Uh, I know that um, uh, that poster RPG that Hannah is working on, which is called Public Guest uh, Number Public Five. Guest or five. Pu- Public Guest Five, yeah. That one just ended. Um, there's a very cute one that's called Corvid and Finch's Caravan of Flim Flam, <laughs> which is really adorable. That art is so good. Yeah. Um, I am really bummed I missed Ruination Pilgrimage, which is, mm. uh, I think that's another Mothership one. Um, there's just so What's many- Mothership Adventures having such great names? Or What's up with them also having such great art? Like, the yeah. art is, like, unbelievable. Ruination Pilgrimage is fantastic. Um, I like Cloud Empress. It's much simpler, but I like it a lot. Um, Nirvana on Fire is the name of a mothership module that is that's incredibly dope. Yeah. I purchased it immediately. I was like, oh, it's called Nirvana on Fire. It's got like a like techno Buddhist AI angle, which is that goes into my veins. Yes, right, in, right into them. Please inject uh, it directly right here. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a lot of great stuff. I remember there was actually a solo a solo Zine RPG that I missed. I discovered it 
after I found more Mork Borg and I was just like Googling and just trying to find stuff. There's one about, it's a journaling RPG about being a lich. What? It's called Lichdom. Um, who's I'm it by? Right um, well, Pigeons 11 also is another, I, there's a lot of really good bird ones up right now and Pigeons 11 is another good one. Nice. Um, that sounds great. Lichdom is out. It's called Lichdom, a solo RPG about the perilous journey of a sorcerer towards immortality. And it is for, by, by Feral Wizard, and it is for sale on Drive-Thru RPG. We'll be buying this game and playing it because this this is like, hey, this is actually maybe an interesting thing here. It's like, I feel a great deal of reluctance and inertia uh, to play a solo RPG, but I'm going to play this one. Right, right, right. Why? Right. Why is that? Is it because I want to be a lich real bad? Right. I think it is. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah. This is really cool. I, I know I plan to market mine, some of mine, for like self-reflection and things like that. Right, right. Um, whereas others, I think that like my push for that is just going to be like some of them, you know, like um, like I'm hoping that like the Dogmom one appeals to board gamers as well, right? Because right. it's like there's like a puzzle to it, you know? Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think there's a lot there's a lot of potential there. I look forward to hearing more about these projects as you develop them. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. I will definitely keep you in the loop. May I plug one more final thing that I'm of working course. on? It's not Absolutely. out yet. Yes. Oh, yes. spent the whole time talking about hard yeah. sweat because it exists. But um, right. so so I'm working right now on a system agnostic. Uh, this is actually going to be a zine, uh, mm-hmm. a proper zine, um, a system agnostic little folio of locations that you can just drop into your world. The only instructions or introduction the entire um, uh, book is going to have is verbatim, embed these in your world, expressing their mechanics through your system. Because I, I don't care to go go out of my way to like try to translate them into like the big four or whatever. There's, there's a lot of systems, right? It's not there's necessary. It doesn't matter. A, dungeon, a game master is going to read these and transpose them into their work anyway. There's no mm-hmm. reason yeah. for me to do that. Sure, also, it's inelegant and bad writing. It's just, it's awful. It's just, it's bloat. I don't want to do that. I care a lot. I care deeply uh, about making as much as possible from as little as possible. Um, mm-hmm. Despite mm-hmm. the fact that I have done nothing but talk since I, this show started, I'm extremely verbose. Um, but that's just because I'm a verbal processor and I discover <laughs> what I'm trying to say while speaking. Anyway, okay, so I'm working on this thing. It's called Shrines: Sites of Reverence and Power for Fantasy RPGs. It is completely system agnostic. Um, it is just, you know, I'm going to have like a double spread for each one. I'm working with an illustrator right now. I'm going to do a lot of bold um, bold use of color, lots of color field stuff, change it up. Um, I have an academic background in Buddhist philosophy of mind. Uh, and so I'm uh, rendering a lot of that experience in here because I'm pretty sick of Eurocentric fantasy uh, and mm-hmm. Himalayan myth and magic is like very, very near and dear to me. Um, but as a white person, uh, they're, they're not really my stories to tell. So I'm not really, it's not overtly um, referencing any of that, uh, of the, the, that, the, that region or any of the cultures and history there. Um, but it is those, you know, a lot of like the, the philosophies and the histories and the mythology are deeply influential into the content. Mm-hmm. So um, making, making a, a really key point here, of tapping that network to bring on a cultural consultant to just review the the writing, review the illustrations, make sure that it is ex- very specifically not being Orientalist. Um, mm-hmm. It's very tempting. Uh, fantasy is an inherently exoticizing genre, 
right? Like the whole point is to find the magic and the otherness in these like magical, crazy worlds. And that gets problematic when those worlds exist and when you look like people who have oppressed them. Like appropriation mm-hmm. is a matter of power dynamics. It's not just borrowing right. an influence across a cultural line. That's what art is. It's about, it's, it's like punching down in comedy where you're like, oh, I just stand atop you and I, as a tourist, can feel free to just reach down into your life and rip out right. the parts that I find like, right. like a crow. I'm going to reach in and grab the shiny bits that please me with no sense of respect for like the power dynamics of play. And so um, uh, those power dynamics are obfuscated here. It's not so obvious as they are in you know, the North American continent. This is a uh, more, a much more abstract relationship, and I'm referencing, right, right. I'm referencing like a very antiquated, like an antique, you know, the you know Himalayan antiquity. Um, uh, but all that said, I am a conspicuously white person, so making sure to have a cultural right. consultant on board. Uh, I'm really excited to to release uh, the writing. Um, you know, it's much more minimalist uh, prose mm-hmm. than I've delivered mm-hmm. here verbally, um, and I have taken a really long time to find an illustrator that I thought. Uh, really nailed it because you know I do really co- like the work I, I make video games during the day um, and it's often really commercial uh, because it's an industry and this is a time to in the zine spirit make something as like near and dear and true and you know just I don't want to say authentic because that's a really trite word but like I don't want to compromise the artistry here for a profit motive i don't care if it right, uh, right. if it makes money per se I'll, you know i'm certainly gonna like try to make the printing right. cost back and stuff right. but it's it's a, i just want to make some art you know i just want to make something right, artful right. um right. and zines offer a a barrier of entry that really gets it onto shelves i will get it out mm-hmm. it'll be done yeah um, yep and i think that's great well thank you yeah i don't i don't mean to describe that in a way that sounds indulgent and auteur like no. It's um, no, it's not. I, I, I totally like, I've said that many times. Like sometimes it's just about getting stuff out there, getting it in people's hands. You know, um, one of the ways that I'm going to do the, the same thing to defray the cost so that I know I'll make back my printing cost is I'm just going to put up super small Kickstarters for each game. Yeah, yeah. Like we're talking like a goal of like a thousand dollars. Cause I know right. that that's enough to let me print plenty of them. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Just to make sure that, you know, I make the money back. Plus it's free advertisement. It's more yeah. sales than you might actually get otherwise. I mean, oh, it's for sure more sales, you know, like, you know, people say free advertisement. Like I always look at it as Kickstarter is cheaper than it is to give it to a store and have it sell it for you. Right. Like right. you will make more money off the Kickstarter than you right. will doing it that way. Um, and the cut they take is much smaller. Right. So like, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think that, um, yeah, I think that that's worthwhile. I encourage more people to do that. Obviously, uh, Kickstarter encourages people to do that because they like people doing the little, the little things, you know. So yeah, yeah, ab- absolutely. I will, I will very likely Kickstarter shrines. Um, I don't know when that'll be because I'm not interested in rushing it. Um, the artist has a lot of his his own work, and um, mm-hmm. I've got a lot of my own stuff going on, and so it'll be out when it's out. Uh, you know, within the next year. Uh, I'm right, definitely right. gonna miss Zine Quest. That's the thing, Nicole. We were talking about it before. It's like I, I feel the yeah. same way. I'm like I'm yeah. making this thing that can be a Zine, and I'm gonna miss Zine Quest. Yeah, and I'm not gonna wait till next year. Yeah, so. definitely not. Yeah, well, hopefully we can. Like, print, oh, we, I don't wait that long. Yeah, absolutely not. Well, it'll just take me until a month before Zine Quest, and then I won't wait. I'll right, right. But let's hopefully we can get our projects out like halfway through, and then have another one ready to go by next year's Zine Quest. Because Kickstarters are not 
trivial amount of work before, like up front. Like you have to be ready to go. It has to be good. Yeah. You have yeah. to have all your yeah. stuff ready. You have all your pictures, all your writing, all your references. You, ideally, you want other people to have used it already, and you can yep. have some testimonials. Yep. Um, you got to know what your what your stretch goals are. You have to know that you can mm-hmm. deliver. Very importantly, you have to be able. You have to have like yeah. spoken yeah. with manufacturers and stuff. So. Th- Kickstarters are, are are non-trivial. They're no joke. I've done one before too right. for a board game I made ten years ago, um, and it's not something that I um, take lightly. I want to be responsible um, to yep. the backers. Yep. You know, it's just not fair yeah. to be like, "Hey, I have an idea. Yeah. You want to?" I, I half I like you know I just I just shat this thing out. Like, can I have some of your money? They're gonna be like, maybe. Like, that's not how this is done well. And so to do that well, you have to take the time, and time is time. So. I don't know what it comes out. Yeah. Yeah. No, I get you. Well, let me know when you, when you've got it done. Cause I, I would love to chat with you again when you, when it's, you know, on Kickstarter. Heck yeah. yeah so we can sure. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for having yeah. me. This was super yeah. fun. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. This was a fun conversation and uh, it went a lot of places. I don't think we expected, but I like that. I like when that <laughs> happens cause it's, it's real and it's uh it's how discussions work. So for sure. Like yeah. Um, well, hey, listeners, I hope you really enjoyed our conversation as well. And uh, if you want to get in touch with us, of course, you can go to buildinggamepodcast.com. Uh, there you can find a link to our Discord channel where you can uh, sign up for that. Uh, you can come to our weekly meetups, uh, 8.30, uh, sorry, at 8.30 p.m. Tuesday evenings. No, 8 p.m. Tuesday evenings. Ha, 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 they ended 8.30. <laughs> ha, ha, 30 minutes. Uh, come spend uh, two minutes and 45 seconds of your time talking about what you're working on. And uh, listen to some other people talk about theirs. It's a nice supportive group. It's super fun. Um, yeah. And uh, of course, you can email us buildinggamepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on the Twitter at podcastbtg, at J.A. Slingerland, at Toits, that T-O-I-T-S, and at James Pianca. And uh, yes, you can do all those things. But we hope you also keep coming back every single week. And until next time, good night. Good night. Good night. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. Building the game, building the game with Jason and friends, with Jason and friends. The end of the episode, that's when it technically ends.